Perhaps one thing that makes humans unique in such a way that allowed us to advance so far is our ability to help and work with each other. Psychologists call these general characteristics pro-social behaviors and include things like sharing, cooperating, caring, helping, and comforting with and for others. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Mystery for Minds third season. As always, my name is Edward Thomas, and today we'll be looking into how prosociality allows us to interact with each other and achieve things far beyond what we're capable of alone. Prosocial behaviors are what's called altruistic. It helps someone else without a specific required gain for the person who does it. Things like feeling empathy, a sense of justice, or concern, and even who we partner with are all things that are, in large part, determined by the things that make us pro-social beings. The term itself came about in the 1970s as an antonym for what social scientists called antisocial behavior. But since then, the meaning has taken on different forms and is used in different contexts. Today, it remains largely in various social, developmental, and moral psychology works and publications. But what makes pro-social behavior especially interesting to look into is because it's considered quote-unquote costly to the person who's being pro-social. For example, let's say that you're a prehistoric hunter-gatherer. Every day, you're on the hunt for food, water, and other necessities. Today, you're lucky and caught an animal, but someone else in your group wasn't so lucky and hasn't caught anything today. Now there's a dilemma. Do you allow that person to starve, or do you share what you have, even if that means giving up part of your food, and in a sense reducing your chances of surviving? This dilemma is something that varies vastly across situations, cultures, and people themselves but it is a great example of why pro-social behavior is so tricky and unintuitive from an evolutionary standpoint. In a true survival situation, giving up your food is dangerous. After all, what if you don't catch anything tomorrow? Technically, the person who you shared your food with today isn't obligated to help you out when you're hungry tomorrow. But that usually isn't the case. Researchers propose that one reason why we don't just give up on those that help us out like that is because it's more beneficial for the survival of an entire group's genes if they consistently share. If you share with me and I share with you, when we both need each other, we increase our survival together, while those that overshare starve when things go downhill and people don't want to help them out, and those that never reciprocate are no longer trusted by others and when they need that help, they no longer get it. This feeling of wanting to give back to the person who's helped us out in the past is known as the norm of reciprocity, when someone feels compelled to help in return for another person's help. Through this theory, helping and working together makes us more successful, so perhaps over time, we inherited strong pro-social reciprocative genes that made us want to share with each other, but also give back to gain trust, respect, and future help. Social selection theory jumps off of this idea of increasing survival through empathy and caring, 
by seeing that not only do people who mutually share benefit from increased survival of themselves, those that know how to reciprocate and are known for reciprocating are more likely to find themselves with interested mates, since mates typically want someone who will help them when they need that help. Social selection theory is complementary to Darwin's theory of natural selection. While certain physical traits that increase survival become parts of the gene pool, more metaphysical types of traits, like high compassion, gratitude, and willingness to undergo something that is quote-unquote costly, makes it more likely for that person to find a willing mate to allow those genes to continue to stay in the gene pool. This is true across both humans and animals. Current research over at Cornell University, for example, focuses on how prairie voles may use social selection before mating. In the previous episode, we talked about how parenting makes our emotions and character. Our personality is a huge factor in just how pro-social we truly are and how we react and return favors and help. Those that have a take-take-take kind of attitude are at the risk of not being seen as quote-unquote worth the time of others, while those that only give without ever wanting anything back are effectively losing out on opportunities. But with these costs, there are also a long list of benefits that may have evolved to be associated with helping to encourage continued reciprocity. For example, when people are continuously pro-social, they've been found to not only have better moods, but also less likely to have negative moods in the first place. The social support gained from pro-social behavior can also make it easier to go through the ups and downs of life and prevent things like loneliness, depression, and even substance use and abuse, allowing for not only continued improvements in one's life, but also to continue to collaborate and care for others to make more stronger bonds and healthier and stronger support systems. Helping others, for example, through charity works, has been proved several times through research to reduce stress, improve mood, and improve life quality and satisfaction. While it may be costly, prosociality is key to who we are and how we act and work with others. It gives us satisfaction, happiness, and support, all the while being an integral part of what makes us all bond and work together as a society, to move towards improving and bettering our world for everyone. It should be noted that in this episode, I was mostly focusing on altruistic pro-social behaviors to better display the costs and benefit of helping others. Proactive and reactive pro-sociality may or may not lean a certain way in terms of cost and benefit for someone, and that can sort of muddy the comparison. Thank you so much for listening to the second episode of the third season of The Mystery of Your Mind. If you noticed that there was a slight quality difference between this episode and past episodes, it's because I'm trying to transfer to another platform uh, for recording, and I want your feedback. Please let me know if you think that this transition has made it easier or harder to uh, listen and enjoy this podcast and really learn and gain something from these bi-weekly episodes. That being said, thank you so much for listening once again, and see you next time.